a group of African-American people living in Virginia in the 1800s were suffering under chattel slavery, unjustly earning value for slave masters um, that uh, had not themselves earned it. And uh, they wrote words and sang words to a song together called Go Down Moses. And here's a few lyrics from the song, Go Down Moses. When Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand, let my people go. Oh, let us all from bondage flee. Let my people go. And let us all in Christ be free. Let my people go. You need not always weep and mourn. Let my people go. And wear these slavery chains forlorn. Let my people go. Your foes shall not before you stand. Let my people go. And you'll possess fair Canaan's land. Let my people go. Go down, Moses. Way down in Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. You can hear in these words a promise that these Virginian, African-American children of God were holding into their hearts even as they suffered. And it was this promise that in Christ our present suffering will and shall give birth to future glory. That you can count on it. That it will happen. That suffering is now, but suffering in Christ is followed by freedom. Suffering in Christ is followed by glory. That there's a sense in which even the suffering that we are bearing in our bodies now will give birth to a glory and freedom. Uh, that we can only now imagine. Imagine all your life you were told that you were three-fifths of a human, that uh, your parents and grandparents were slaves and born into slavery, that you were abused, that you were beaten all your life, that all you know is deprivation and backbreaking labor from sunup to sundown, and reading the words of Romans 8, reading the words of our New Testament text this morning, that that the sufferings of the present are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. And then being able to sing that song of freedom, being being able to sing, to lift up your voice and say, let us all from bondage go free. And and let us all in Christ be free. Let my people go. Um, And and beginning to even think about what that would mean, that being freed yourself would would give way to the freedom of creation, that creation would follow you into freedom. Um, In Christ, present suffering will give birth to future glory. And so we might even ask the question this morning, like what suffering are you bearing up under in your own life, whatever it looks like, it can't help but give birth to, give way to a future glory. Uh, so what our suffering might be this morning, it could be physical suffering. Uh, you know, it could be that there's weaknesses and pains in the body. It might be that there's a suffering of the heart, that there's a sadness, that there's a heartbreak, that there's a, 
a loss that you're grieving, maybe a depression that you're fighting, contending with. Um, maybe there's some other battle that you're fighting and every day it feels like you know, you're, you're going into battle, but maybe you're losing the battle. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're just exhausted. Whatever the suffering might be, whatever the pain is, um, what Christ offers to you and invites you into is his same journey. Because he went to suffering first and then he went into glory. It was like one follows the other in this sequence. Suffering into glory. Suffering birthing glory. Death birthing resurrection. Like this path, Christ invites you onto this path. All who are weary, all who are suffering, follow me into glory. Um, and let's, so let's reflect on this together. Romans 8 is in your bulletin. It's in your Bibles. You can turn there. And just hear this promise. Verse 18 is kind of the headline over the whole passage there. Paul the Apostle, himself a suffering man, said this, For I consider, and this word consider is really a, hey, I've thought this through very carefully. He was a careful thinker and a careful teacher. He did not throw words around carelessly. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And the word to us is a really, it's sort of a very complex preposition there. It's like not just, it's revealed before us, but it's revealed around us. It's revealed in us. It's revealed over us. That glory is sort of this all-encompassing reality that's going to swallow us up in the best way possible. And that it's going to be such a revealing and such a beautiful um, sort of unveiling that the suffering we have now, I mean, and Paul was a suffering man, shipwrecks and beatings and stone. I mean, he was left for dead and uh, going around hungry most of the time as he planted churches that he's like, look, all the suffering that we're going through right now that you and I are enduring, it's going to be like so weightless uh, compared with the glory to be revealed. It will be like those, you know, those dandelion seeds that you blow on and they just go off into the wind. You never see them again. They're just light and momentary compared with the weighty, consequential, beautiful glory that's going to be revealed in us and around us. That it won't even be worth a comparison. That you'll remember it, but um, like you remember an old injury that's completely healed that you don't even feel at all anymore. And so this, this, uh, this truth, this promise, that verse 18 headlines, suffering will give birth to glory. He's going to unpack that in the next a uh, few verses here. And the first thing that he's going to focus on is um, that our present suffering is going to give way to and give birth to our future role. Our, there's going to be an assignment that we have uh, from the Lord, and that's going to be part of our glory. And he describes this in uh, starting in verse 19. He says, for the creation, and, and think here, this is all a visible reality. It's not just uh, the natural world of creation, but it's also um, the structures created by human beings. It's everything that you can see. Um, The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And and this word eager longing is kind of a neck-stretching verb. It's sort of like what we do when we're waiting for the bus or the train. We're like, when, when is it coming? Is it three minutes away? Is it 10 minutes away? Uh, how long am I going to have to wait for, the, for my deliverance? 
here. Uh, maybe even think about like you're waiting for the bus and it's snowing outside. It's really cold and you're like, come on. Um, this eager longing, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's, that's you and me, people who are in Christ. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, that, that means God, because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Okay, so see the picture that Paul is describing. Uh, That we do for creation what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And what has he done for us? He's, well, he set us free. He set us free from futility. He set us free from sin. He set us free from death. Um, and we get to pass on to creation what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Um, you know, you can, you can hear in Go Down Moses, the, the cries, not only for, this, for the uh, slaves themselves to be set free, so they're no longer slaves, but for all of that, for that to spread out over the whole land, for everything to be set free. And there's this longing that creation has like, hey, I need the daughters of God to be set free. I need the sons of God to be set free because the sons and daughters of God are going to set creation free. Creation waits, verse 19, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Um, and um, there's a hope, verse 20 says, that even though God subjected creation to futility, uh, that it was done in hope that you and I in Christ would be the ones to set it loose, to set it free. That even as you and I have contributed to the futility of creation through our sin, that in Christ we will then have the dignity at one point when he gives us this glory and he gives us this role to set creation free completely without becoming part of the problem. Um, uh, God will restore our authority over all the world. Um, the sun, the moon, the sea, the birds, the animals, and the plants, all ecology, all natural habitats, rivers, oceans, fresh water supplies, governments in whatever form they take, human ventures, including businesses, not-for-profits, schools, and institutions, the arts, music, theater, design, sculptures, everything in creation matters to God, and everything in creation will be made right in Christ through you and I. This is our future role. Um, Let's put it this way. Is there anything in your life that is bugging you? Just anything in your apartment, your, your, your family, your workplace. Is there anything that's just like bugging you in the news? Anything troubling you? Is there, are there any problems that you wish you could fix? Any problems to solve? I mean, maybe it's human trafficking. You hear these tragic stories of vulnerable boys and girls being, and, and women uh, and men being, being trafficked um, for, for evil profit. Maybe it's corruption that you hear about or um, dysfunction you experience. Maybe it's a bodily pain for you or for a loved one. Um, maybe it's a spiritual problem, a social problem. A, you know, and there's a sense in which these problems want to be solved. You know, like, it's like, 
let's take Chicago, for instance. You know, Chicago forever has like wanted reform, cried out for reform. When, when will there be no more corruption in our city? And people have tried to reform it. What happens when we try to solve problems in the world? Well, one thing that happens is that we run out of energy. We just run out of, we run out of power, time, energy, resources. We come to the end of ourselves, don't we? And we're like, well, I've done all I can do. And um, I'm limited. It turns out that the problem's bigger than me, bigger than my power. Um, but other times we can sometimes, what, make the problem worse. When we lived in D.C., there was this phrase I kept hearing, uh, and it was the phrase, um, unintended consequences. Unintended consequences. It was from people who thought about how do we pass laws to solve problems in our country without creating other problems that will need other laws. Because oftentimes what happens is people ride in on a white horse to save something, to solve a problem, and I'm going to fix this once and for all, and no one's going to be able to, but then there's these residual problems that we, that we create, and we become part of the system, part of the problem. Why? Because of our sin, our lack of foresight, our character flaws. Um, so um, Paul is saying that there's going to become, there's coming a time when you in Christ will be able to see those problems and solve them. You will be able to set creation free without becoming part of the system, part of the problem, part of the futility that we sometimes experience now. This doesn't mean that we don't work for good things. It doesn't mean that we uh, don't labor to set creation free in whatever way God's given us to. Um, it means that we have to look forward to future glory where we receive this incredible leadership assignment. And the Lord says, all right, I, want, I need this team over here to restore all of the fresh water supply. And I need this team over here to, um, to remove go- uh, government corruption. I need this team over here to make the best art possible. And we're going to be put to work in the new heavens and the new earth. And that will be part of the glory that is to come. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Um, So Paul is picturing here, creation is like a group of women in some ways uh, who are nine months pregnant for whom labor pains have started. Imagine a maternity ward full of women, all of whom are ready to have their babies, all of whom have labor pains, but none of them have had their child yet. Can you imagine? And they're crying out for a midwife. Bring a midwife. I need to have this baby. When am I going to have this baby? And creation is, is screaming out, longing, both suffering and longing for like there's a glory that, that needs to be brought forth into the world. And it's waiting, what? For the daughters and sons of God to be revealed. For us to be the, that midwife that brings creation through that moment of giving birth to what creation was always meant to be. Um, Creation has been put into this unbearable situation uh, of having all of the pain and frustration of labor without the glory of labor, without the new life of labor. Um, And it's waiting for us it's waiting for us. We can participate 
in delivering that glory now as God gives us the spirit. Um, but the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That's our future assignment. And it's going to be amazing and beautiful and something we can look forward to. Um, so we have a future role, future leadership assignment. That's part of our glory that our suffering will give way to. But in Christ, our present suffering also is going to give birth to a redeemed state. A redeemed state. Not just like the, not like the state of Illinois. It's like the state of resurrection, the state of renewed bodies. And he describes this in verse 23. So not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Our future bodies will reflect our adoption, Paul says, into Christ. And the focus around this is on the inclusion that we have in Jesus. So Paul says earlier in Romans 8, like we're sharing in Christ's suffering. And we do. We share in Christ's suffering whatever way he allows us to. And it's, it's, it's really, you know, depending on our life circumstances and what the Lord has allowed, we share in Christ's sufferings now. We live this human life. We breathe this human air. Um, we have pain in the body. We will die. Uh, we will experience futility. We will suffer our own. Whatever cross the Lord has called us to bear will suffer. But then comes glory. I mean, that's what it means to live Christ's life is that one follows the other. We walk his same path. We, uh, we learn to live by the Spirit in this life of suffering, and we do suffer now, but then we enter into glory. And the focus really is on, this is the completion of what Christ began. This is the completion of what Christ has invited us into. And so we can and should look forward to the day when our present suffering will give birth to this future resurrection. This future resurrection. What do we know about the resurrected body of Jesus? Um, well, uh, we know that um, his resurrected body was that there was some continuity that you could recognize his body after he was resurrected. His disciples like recognized him and saw him and that he even carried his scars with him into his resurrected state. Maybe just because he knew that it would help Thomas and it would help us recognize him. Maybe it was part of his glory. You know, in Revelation talks about the lamb who was slain is the only one who could open the scrolls of the promises of God. Like it was the lamb who was slain. They go together. So you could recognize his body. He could still eat fish. He could still hang out on the beach. Okay. He could still bond with and connect with people he loved. He could pray for them. He could encourage them in his resurrected body. We're going to have a lot of the same capabilities that we have now. But also we see Jesus's body is also new, that, it's, that, it's, that it's, uh, it, it does have new powers. He walks through walls, and um, he ascends to the Father's right hand, and he's actually brought into the center of the throne room of God, and he directs, he's able to pray for all of us at the same time. How does he do that? He's got a resurrected body. You don't even know what you can do with a resurrected body. I mean, Paul talks about, in another part of Scripture, don't you know, we're going to judge angels? Did you know that? that not only are we going to set creation free, apparently we're going to have heavenly assignments as well. Now, don't go try judging angels now. 
Okay, they will own you. Okay, they, uh, so uh, right now, if you and I were to come into contact with, with an angel, it would be a very disturbing experience because of how much glory they have. It might even blind us forever. Now, Paul is saying there's going to come a time when you, you are going to be brought closer. To, Jesus is going to introduce you to heaven and earth. Behold my daughter. Behold my son. And we're going to come closer to, to the throne of God, the throne of grace, closer than any angel or archangel. And he's going to give us decisions to make. This is part of what he's doing. This is part of where it's going. And we're groaning for that day, aren't we? So, so, Paul, so uh, look at verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, same verb as 22, as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so in other words, the church is also, metaphorically speaking, a maternity ward filled with babies that have not yet been born, filled with the first fruits of the Spirit that have been given to us, given to the church. Um, you know, when you're pregnant, I'm told, there's no going back, right? There's a new life within you. There's, there is... Uh, a promise of a future that's different than your present. Sometimes that new life kind of shows itself through a, through a thrown elbow or through moving limbs inside the womb. Um, uh, and yet you're still waiting. You're still uncomfortable. There's this sense of um, it's exciting and it's hard and it's painful and it's hopeful. And, and what are we carrying within us as the, as the church? We're carrying this promise of resurrection, this promise that our bodies will be renewed, this promise that we will be united with Christ, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection, that whatever new life we are taking in now and living now through the Holy Spirit will complete itself in a way that will happen in us, over us, around us, and that we will share in the glory of the sons and daughters of God. You know what? Uh, we, we long for this, this glory, this glory of this assignment we have to set creation free, this glory of a resurrected body. But we still suffer now, don't we? We still have, metaphorically speaking, the labor pains. And sometimes it feels like it's all labor pains, but no labor progress, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like, what am I experiencing all this pain for? Why do I keep fighting this battle? Why, why doesn't it just happen now? Why don't we just have glory now in its completion? There's other parts of Scripture that do address this, the why question. Our, our text really is focused more on the sequence, suffering first, glory later. Remember, glory is going to outweigh current suffering. But there's a hint of this why. Why are we suffering now? Well, there's something that needs to be formed inside of us through the Spirit, um, that's, get, that's getting us ready for that glory. And Paul talks about it in verses 24 and 25. Um, so verse 24, he says this, For in this hope we were saved. Okay, into this hope 
we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Answer, most people. Okay? Um, there's, no, there's no faith required to hope in what you can see. We hope in what we can see every day. There's always there, there, there's images and stories and promises that are made to us every day that, that tempt our hope. And more in the sense of like, um, I can have something now that will lead me to a sense of completion and fullness. But that enoughness never comes. That enoughness never comes. There's always going to be some, some, some sad dissatisfaction on the other end of getting exactly what we asked for. And so Paul says that's not the futility that, that we've been born into. That's not hope. Hope in the scriptures is not a doubtful wish. Hope, hope in the scriptures, hope in Romans 8, is a confident conviction. And he says in verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, all these promises, we wait for it with patience. Okay, so um, this patience is gold. And we're going to take it with us into our future glory. This patience is only going to come about, Romans 5, 1 through 11 talks about this patience is from God, and he knows the only way for us to get it is suffering. It's the only way we're going to get it. And so what? He allows temptation in our life. Why? Because that makes us spiritually strong. Okay, it's like he's taking us to go train for a marathon in Denver, Colorado. You know, hey, let's get you a mile high up in the air where the air is thinner, and let's do training there. Why? Because I want to make you as strong as possible for what I have coming for you. The Lord wants us to be spiritually strong. And one of the ways that we see spiritual strength is just in this sense of patient endurance. That whatever quality the mother is expressing when she has labor pains but hasn't met her baby yet, that quality needs to be formed in me and you. And it's being formed in physical suffering it's formed in spiritual suffering. It's formed in all the ways that we are stressed in this life and all of the ways that we need to learn wisdom the hard way in this life and all the ways that we uh, suffer in this life. We've got to develop patience. The Lord will develop patience in us and, um, and for us in this life, preparing us for that glory he has. I really loved, I found a song that was written shortly after emancipation by... Um, by, by two men, and um, they were reflecting on um, just the freedom that they had been given from chattel slavery, and, and it, for them it became this metaphor of the freedom that they had been given in Christ, and, and this song has become, become an anthem for many people since, and it's called Lift Every Voice and Sing. I love the last verse, and, and I, as I read it, I wonder if we could even begin to, to pray it in our suffering as we wait for the hope that we have. God of our weary years, isn't that great? God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who hast brought us thus far on the way, thou who hast by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray, 
Lest our feet stray from the places, O God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand. True to our God, true to our native land. And when you read Romans 8, you remember your true native land, where you're really a citizen and where you really belong. You know, it's in the presence of the suffering and risen Lord, who even now welcomes you to come close to him and to receive his grace and his glory, even in your suffering. And just to hear that promise uh, that whatever you're suffering now, it's going to be weightless. It's going to evaporate um, when the fullness of our adoption comes, when the fullness of our glory is revealed in us, around us, and over us in Jesus. And Lord, we receive this by faith. We ask now that Romans 8, 18 through 25, this profound and beautiful and mysterious promise that suffering births glory, we ask that we would receive it by faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.